welcome, welcome. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Rim! Rim! I volunteer! I volunteer! I volunteer as tribute! Welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time, we are going to be talking about The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins and its film adaptation. So the first book in that series, the first film in that four-film series. Interestingly, this is the first title that we're actually covering written by a woman, and so I think it's more than appropriate that we also have a female guest with us to discuss it. And that guest is Margot Donahue one half of the Book versus Movie podcast, a show which you might imagine has a similar charter to ours. So, Margot, thank you for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So we had uh, connected on Twitter. I think somebody did a, like a follow Friday, and I, I saw your show and, and kind of uh, followed you and investigated and saw that we had covered a couple things in common. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and pretty quickly we went, oh, we should do a crossover at some point. And uh, I liked that when you asked if... Uh, if we could do the Hunger Games, if you, you asked if it would offend our manly sensibilities to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we did the Stepford Wives. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's yeah. true. We did on our podcast, too. So, yeah, that's yeah. why we, we kind of connected. Yeah. That and Jurassic Park are the, are the two we yep. covered. And it is interesting to me to see kind of the differences in perspective between with Jurassic Park, especially with three kind of geeky guys geeking out over all the technical detail. Mm-hmm. And then you guys going, oh, man, the movie is so much better. <laughs> um, so. It's, it's a tough. I thought it was a tough read sometimes. I mean, I, I loved that book when it first came out in the 90s. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I remember reading it and really enjoying it. It's just rereading it now. Spielberg has, has adapted quite a few books to movies. And in that one, he made the kids, the two kids, older than they were in yeah. the book. Mm-hmm. And when they're in the book, they're very, very young. And especially the girl, she was really little and she was so annoying. And so mm-hmm. like her, her dialogue was terrible. <laughs> terrible and she just was it, it, it was just very hard to kind of root for her i was i was saying i was rooting for the pterodactyls to go get her because I was, <laughs> so that was like a big difference between book and movie because the movie girl alexis is fantastic so but yeah. i do love that movie i still can watch it anytime yeah yeah and that's one for me too that where the the reread was tougher than the initial mm-hmm. read well margo why don't you tell us a bit about yourself kind of uh, how you got into podcasting and and your background Okay, great. So Margo and I are actually fitness bloggers. And we uh, used to go to a convention every year for fitness bloggers. And we would talk about it on her podcast. She had a podcast for like moms that are trying to get fit and savvy. And we were in Savannah um, once and we were on her podcast talking about fit blog and we kept talking about the movie Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And I kept telling her, no, it's a terrible movie. Did you ever read the book? She goes, no, I never read the book. And I was like, oh my God, we talked about it and talked about it. And somebody said, that was the best part of the conversation. And I just Hmm. said to her, would you want to do a podcast about book versus movie? And she literally was just like, okay. And within two weeks we started. It was just, that's just how we did it. And we've just sort of been rolling ever since. And we've had about... I think about 30 episodes. We haven't numbered them like you guys. But uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. We've been it sounds really an awful well. lot like us. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, how many original ideas are there? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a great thing about podcasting, yeah. though, is like you can just get an idea. You know, you buy some equipment and you carve a little bit of time and boom, you have a show. Yep. Yep. And then in theory, you have listeners. Um. Yeah, we have <laughs> listeners. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've managed to find them. Like when Margo and I were saying the other day, I was talking about our downloads, and I said, you know, hardly anybody I know listens to the my podcast. Like maybe my mother and a couple other people I know. That's it. Like all of our everybody else is just people from around the world. It's just crazy. Yeah, it is pretty cool when you see we have somebody consistently commenting from Australia. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, from Brisbane. Okay, so. Um, I'm curious how everybody first encountered the book. And uh, James, I think I'll let you go first. The Hunger Games book? Yeah. Uh, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I, only, I only read it because of this podcast. Nice. <laughs> it's actually kind of cool, though, to have somebody who who saw the movie first. Um, yeah. Because I, I'm curious, uh, Margot, did you, see, did you read the book before you saw the first movie? Oh, I read the book when it was in hardcover, um, within a f- okay. few weeks that it was published. Uh, a friend of mine that's in the publishing industry told me about it. 
And I said, I don't know about a YA novel, young adult novel. And she said, no, no, right. no, you, yeah. that's... you, you got to try this one out. And I said, all right. And as soon as I picked it up, I took it home. I think I read it in two sittings. I was really hooked yeah. on it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was my problem at first, too. I was the young adult, like, eh. Yeah. I saw the movie first, and I'm like, okay, Kat, this is kind of cool in the movie, but I'm not sure if I want to read this book. Mm-hmm. But my wife read the book before, read the entire series before the first movie, mm-hmm. and she said the entire series was awesome. So, uh, But I did the same thing. Once I sat down to read the book, I was done in two sittings, about probably eight hours, six to eight hours yeah. total reading time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, same here. And I've told everybody I knew, you got to try this book. It's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Colin? So my son Peter was reading the Gregor the Overlander series. Hmm. And then I noticed this book came out from the same author and I started checking out. In fact, he may have read that book before me as well because there was a point he was just consuming books voraciously. Yeah. Um, he slowed down a little bit. Where he gets that from? Yeah. yeah. It must be his mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, sat down, read it, was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, on the the behind the scenes from the DVD for the movie, uh, it's one of the things they talked about where uh, like whole cities would read it as the book that the entire city wants to read, and they knew it, it would work so well for you know young kids and for adults as well. Yeah. So it's one of those books that's written to a very wide audience, and it does it very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I also have enjoyed the the Underland Chronicles, which I didn't even know they were from the same author. I think I had previously read the Hunger Games. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that series with Gregor the Overlander is the first book. Um, just terrific. It's, I think it's targeted a little younger than the Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Um, but they do get pretty violent. Um, so, but worth reading, definitely. Uh, so for me, I think, um, I, I published some book reviews on my blog. Uh, I used to do it a lot more. And so I follow several other book bloggers and I kept seeing it pop up. And a lot of the book bloggers were were ladies and I thought well maybe that's just maybe it's one of those things you know and then I think my sister <laughs> read it and said no no you're you're gonna like it so uh, stop <laughs> don't be afraid of ladies guys <laughs> we're fun we're cool my son when I finally I think I'm not sure what age I let him read it because the Hunger Games is pretty violent mm-hmm. um, and and disturbing you know just the idea of the government run amok um, basically requiring human sacrifice and it's pretty heavy so so I didn't let him read it right away. But after, when I did, I think he, like James, I think he read it basically over a weekend. And then, and I had bought them all for, for our uh, Nook. And then he went, oh, I want to read the next one. And, and he read that one seriously in a Saturday. Hmm. And then it took him like three weeks to read Mockingjay. So it tells you something about where his opinions are on the books. Yeah, I'm probably the same. Yeah. Funny tidbit for me is I got a traffic ticket uh, going over to the library to pick up a copy of Mockingjay. (laughs) (laughs) I I subsequently bought that book, but um, I I had, Colin, I had looked on the, on the library catalog and saw that it was in at the main library in Hillsborough and uh, went to go get it and uh, didn't properly obey a sign that said no turn on red. Oh, I hate that. You can't tell me where not to turn. Yes, yes. Can, which has since then been removed. I know they've removed it. Now it's it's not I wouldn't even get ticketed for it anymore. <laughs> don't turn on uh, red. Don't talk yeah. about the government. Don't right, go exactly. hunting. Don't cross the fence. <laughs> it's just the beginning, Seth. It's just the beginning. It's for your own protection. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> interesting bit of uh, kind of cultural impact of the book is is the spike in uh, baby names uh, for Katniss. And I don't know if it's just the book or if it's the book and the movie, but Couple really? years ago, two of the most popular baby names, along with, of course, Elsa and whatever the other name is from Frozen, mm-hmm. um, and Khaleesi and Katniss. So. <laughs> Are you Khaleesi. kidding me? Nope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, that's the thing with yeah, the book yeah. that actually kind of drove me a little nuts is that the names were just so bizarre, and and I had a hard time remembering who was who because these these names were just completely bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. I do tend to agree. I think it makes more sense in the capital because everything is so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But out in the districts, you'd think they would still be going with like you know in District Twelve, Jim Bob maybe. Um, Frank, <laughs> it, Melissa, yeah, you know, Frank, yeah, something exactly. like that. Yeah. Now I think I think you can kind of explain that away with the, the idea where Katniss is a plant and Primrose is a plant, you know, but you know, out where people get into the woods, as opposed to in the capital, but mm-hmm. still. Why don't we talk about the book? I mean, what, what's everybody think? Margaret, do you want to go first? 
Um, I really, like I said, I, it's one of those those books that I, I you know, I, I, I really enjoyed it the first time I got it. And I, there were certain scenes that were so vivid to me. I love the one where uh, Katniss is wearing this dress. And when she spins around with the dress, it like shoots out fire. And uh-huh, I remember yeah. the first time I read that, I was really just knocked out by that whole image of her trying to mm-hmm. woo a crowd you know, to get them to yeah. like her. And she so what do you have to do? You have to be likable. You have to be sweet and funny and pretty. And she's this real tough girl, like from a really tough region. And she just yeah. kind of makes it happen. And I thought the movie sort of illustrated that pretty well. But yeah, I was uh, I was pretty captivated by this book. And I loved just certain scenes. And I was very glad when the movie brought those scenes to life very, very, very well. What about you, Colin? Yeah, you know me. I love a book where you spend most of the time in the character's head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that does make a tough adaptation, though. And we'll have to get back to talk about that. Um, because there there were certain things they did to add value that, that you lost not being in the character's head. And we'll have to talk about how successful that kind of stuff was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, like the previous book and movie that we covered, um, I Remember the Future, mm-hmm. uh, there are some things that get carried over very well by uh, facial express- expressions and glances and sometimes flashbacks. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, you you couldn't make a movie where you spent ever, all the time in one person's head. Yeah, what I liked about this, and I think it's something that I like about young adult literature in general, is I'm on record saying I don't like world building um, when it's really heavy handed, when mm-hmm. it's when it's pages and pages of description and and that kind of thing. And I think young adult books tend to, to be light on that and to do their world building through characters and particularly in a book like this where it's told from the first person i feel like you get a really great sense of what district 12 is like Mm -hmm. from being in katniss's head she describes it very well yeah well and i think it's a scene that's that's familiar to us either from media or literature or or experience yeah yeah where then when you get to the capital it's a little harder to picture and that's that's where i kind of had some some hope that the movie would do something great with the capital, and and I'm just going to go on record right now and say I, I didn't think that it executed that very well, but that was a bit lackluster. Yeah, yeah. My dad and I grew up in the same town, Cottage Grove, Oregon. So there's uh, when I was there last, there were seven thousand and ninety five people. Wow. <laughs> um, and he told me about when he uh, during Vietnam he enlisted in the Navy and he had to go to Denver, Colorado. I don't know why, if you're in the Navy, why you have to go to Denver, Colorado. Uh, yeah, that seems odd. <laughs> yeah. seems like the wrong direction. He drove from <laughs> Oregon to Denver and he said he crested this hill and there was city as far as the eye could see. Yeah. And, you know, growing up in a little town, I totally understood exactly what he meant. It's like, wow, it's city and city and oh, lights yeah. and it just goes and goes and goes and it was huge. And that was the perspective I had of the capital from the book. You know, you, you when you get it in the movie, you kind of get this. Oh, it's you know, it's white and shimmery and, mm-hmm. yeah, not quite as impressive. Yeah, one thing I thought was interesting in the book was just kind of the discussion of the the whole odds ever in your favor thing and how badly the odds are against you when when you're <laughs> that poor when you have mm-hmm. to sign up for this um, tesserae. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Just the the disadvantage the further out you are, and it's like a compounded disadvantage. But it seems like it's one of those phrases that gives them a false sense of hope, right? Yes. They're like, oh, the odds could be in your favor. It's like somebody buying tickets for the Powerball. The odds are definitely not in your favor. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. You're more likely to be struck by lightning, I think. But <laughs> Yeah. I think that phrase does a good job of talking about just how shallow the people in the capital really mm-hmm. are. Right. So one thing I wanted to talk about is just like the explosion of young adult literature. And we we actually talked about this, Margot, on our last podcast. We interviewed Mm -hmm. an author, uh, Michael Burstein, and um, he talked about how, you know, in terms of like trying to preserve the legacy of some of the older science fiction authors, there's so much literature that's targeted at young people now. It's hard to get them to read Asimov and Heinlein and and those classic authors. Um, And so I'm not sure if... On balance, it's a positive thing that we have this explosion of young adult literature. So I don't know what you guys think. I always think when young people read, it's a yeah. good thing, you know, and the, and the yeah, deep readers will look for stuff. Yeah, we'll look for stuff. I mean, I'd rather have them reading right. and developing their imaginations and hopefully they'll become writers. But, you know, you're not going to, you know, not everyone's going to dive into Asimov or whatever, but it does open sure. up that world to them. And maybe when they get older. Yeah, I I remember one time I was, I went into Barnes and Noble and saw that there was an entire section like subsection of the of the 
store with a placard on it that said paranormal teen romance oh my goodness are you kidding (laughs) no and i thought this is no that's not good didn't Um, the fifth wave wasn't that released this weekend yeah the movie yeah the movie getting terrible reviews i think um there is a saturate oversaturation in the market i think everybody's just sort of going for that dystopian world with a female young female lead i think a lot of people were like well there you go you write a trilogy and you've you're set for life. Yeah, and it's it's interesting though. I mean, I was I was talking to the guys and and like, is this young adult crop? Is it kind of a backlash against earlier fiction that was t- that was kind of targeted at young adults? That was all almost entirely male, like The Hobbit, like The Lord of the Rings. Not that those were necessarily targeted at young people, but it seems like there's a lot of young adult titles now with female leads. And I think you know. I, I go. I'm sorry to interrupt. I think that goes back to Scully. I think that's Scully on X Files. I think she is a huge influence on why we see strong mm. female characters who are kind of loners and and willing mm. to fight for themselves. I think she's a huge. And then Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think those are like True. they were very popular in the '90s, and I think that they are like part of that culture for young people now, like women who are younger, like in you know maybe even te- you know ten years old up to like fifteen watching X-Files and watching Buffy and having them as, you know, your your idols and your your heroes, they became writers and now they're becoming they're they're, they're starting these series. That's what I think. Huh, that's an interesting point. I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Except that they didn't have this this continual love triangle going on. True. Well, no. You know, it was Scully and Mulder and they eventually developed a relationship. Yeah, I know and Buffy but, had her had her love triangle had her uh, Oh yeah, she did. She definitely did Angel and Inspired. But serially not yeah, yeah. not very rarely at the same time. There was some some conflict when they would show back up. Then they were gone, right? You knew it was a one off that that yeah. show. Hmm. And I was trying to think of a book that was recently written with a strong female character that I've actually read, uh, where there wasn't a love triangle. And the only one I could think of, which probably says the you know I I, I read a lot for the podcast nowadays. The only book I could think of was the girl with all the gifts. Yes, that was a really good one. I that was one of my favorite books I read last year. And and. Part of that, Colin, though, to be fair, I think is that, that that is a very young protagonist. And so it made sense for there not to be that love angle to it. True. Yeah. True. But yeah, there's there's a lot of these, a lot of the books that are out there right now, you know, wouldn't pass the Bechdel test. Um, you you yeah. never have. It's it's always about the, the love triangle, it seems like. And I actually, I kind of appreciate that in this first book, it almost subverts that because it's a show. You know, it's the, totally the, the a love show. triangle part of it. Yeah, it's put on. I do, t- and I also, I really, d- maybe it's just me projecting, but I just don't see her like that, even that invested in either one of them. I mean, they're fine. Right. I mean, she likes them fine, but she's about surviving and taking care of her family yeah. first. That's like really her mo- main motivation. Yeah. It seemed like in the book that the relationship between Gail and Katniss wasn't as developed as they made it seem like in the mo- in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, the book basically flat out says she's not sure how she even feels about that she hasn't right. thought of it and 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 no. like you were saying i mean it's it's a priority i'm i'm on the edge of starvation yeah there are other priorities she's worried about her family yeah yeah and she doesn't want a family of her own because she never wants to see her children you know as part of the reaping right yeah that is a great point actually that you don't really get in the, in at least in the first film and and i haven't seen the last two um i was kind of waiting for them both to come out on video my son saw mockingjay part 1 and kind of came home going, eh. And so, so I thought, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? I'm prioritize those. Yeah. So have you, have you not seen the entire series? No. I saw the first and second one, but I haven't seen the Mockingjays. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, that's kind of where thing. I'm at, too. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Me it's too. funny, though, because I really enjoyed the second film. Um, I thought the second film was excellent, but I've heard mixed yeah. things about the, well, I guess it's third and fourth film. <laughs> we would right. describe it. And, right. Mockingjays in two parts for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all, almost always a, a knock against it, right? Oh, you made two films out of it. It, it seems like it, because that seems to be the the criticism I'm seeing a lot, is that it's kind of a, an hour or an hour and a half movie made into five hours type thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think oh, they were wow. trying to do what Harry Potter did, because yeah, that's what they were yeah. Harry, Harry Potter, Potter films. But mm-hmm. they did, Harry Potter did it better. Yeah, exactly. Any other comments on the book? So you mentioned um, getting my perspective from seeing the movie first. Yeah, um, I thought it was kind of weird for the book that it was completely from Katniss's perspective, given the way the movie was yeah. not like that at all. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a shift. The entire time I was reading the book, I was waiting for 
another character's perspective or somebody in the city or something, something different. Mm-hmm. And it right. never happened. It was kind of it was kind of weird for me having seen the movie first and experiencing mm. the book like that. Yeah, it's uh, pretty spare. Yeah, it's it's very spare. I mean, they, they, the movie just sort of elaborates on everything that's in the book. The book is pretty basic, actually, and that's I think probably why people really loved it because mm-hmm. you could put your imagination into it. Right, and I think that's that's probably why I, on the whole, pre- prefer the second book because the world is already kind of built, mm-hmm. and and then it gets to just you know build on that. Yeah, I guess maybe I had the I had the world built for me already too, <laughs> going into the book. You did, right? yeah. Because I yeah. I mean I didn't feel like there was an overabundance of world building anyway. In the book, mm-hmm. um, like you, like you do typically, yeah. He's anti world. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and kind of shift into talking about the movie, and we can we can sprinkle in other thoughts about the book, kind of as we talk about how they were adapted into the film. Colin, do you have the stats on the movie? So it was released in 2012. The book came out in 2008. Uh, it was directed by Gary Ross, and uh, if you don't recognize that name, if I said the word, uh, the movie Big. Wow, that's uh, a classic. Yeah, he has done several really awesome movies, and he helped write the screenplay. Oh, oh interesting. Cool. Um, and if, if you do watch the movie, I'll, I'll say what I always say, get, get the multiple DVD set or get the Blu-ray with all the extras, because the interviews with him uh, really show what it means to be a guy that loves a story as it exists, and know that it still has to be adapted to make a good movie, and to do an awesome job of getting it there. Yeah. Okay. It is uh, 84% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It made... Bucket loads of money, $694 million in the box office. Uh, And that doesn't include all of the associated marketing that comes out now. You know, the action figures and the soundtracks and the DVDs and the Blu-rays and the posters and everything else. And that was against a fairly modest budget, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the budget was about $78 million. Which, it's funny to talk about that being a modest budget. (laughs) But But you can kind of tell with the graphics. You can, and that th- that is one yeah. of the things where I'm like, they gave it a mod- modest budget and said, okay, you have to introduce a film series here, right. do your best, and I think it's credit to the story itself that that I I feel like the movie rises above some of the the obvious kind of budget stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um. So overall, I mean, it sounds sounds like everybody's fairly positive on the movie. Mar- Margo, what uh, what are your thoughts? I the movie i think it's a really amazing adaptation and my thing like because margo and i talk about books and movies and what makes a good successful adaptation and most of the time it's first of all of course it's the script and the director and you know the, the respect for the material but it's the cast that really does it i mean if you hire really good yeah. actors and and give them something to say that's interesting and keep the stakes high people will pay attention you know and they'll go along with it yeah. no matter what the wacky wardrobe is or anything but like stanley tucci to me he's a huge star and that for him to be in there oh, yeah. is just and donald sutherland i'm just was shocked when i saw him in there and yeah. i love woody harrelson uh, i even thought lenny kravitz mm-hmm. was good <laughs> i mean yeah. I, th- I, I thought he was terrific he's he was really awesome good <laughs> yeah he's really good i just thought like and jennifer lawrence of course we all know and elizabeth banks is really strong. Uh, <laughs> she's awesome she's too. She's yeah. really good, and that's like a wacky role to play, and like, and to make it realistic, <laughs> and she does a really good job. So he, they have just this fantastic mm-hmm. cast. They really cast it well, and I think they kept the really important elements of the book, and they bring, especially, uh, th- is it the reaping when they bring that to life when they just first are just mm-hmm. shot yeah. out and they have to run. And they're dying right away. It was I just I know how the movie ends. I've I've read the book. I know I still every time I watch that I get excited because it's it is very exciting. Yeah, they really brought that to life well. Yeah, it's interesting. So for me, one one of the things that I don't care for early in the film is the shaky cam. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I th- I think it's supposed to be kind of thematic shaky cam where it's it's showing District Twelve and it's pretty messed up. Um, you know, there's a lot of hunger, a lot of need. And so I think the shaky cam is supposed to kind of lend itself. Right. I think it's to supposed that. to make mm-hmm. you feel like uneasy and disturbing because that's kind of what that whole region is, right? Due to the poverty. And- yeah. I feel like, though, the best implementation of that technique was right at the beginning of The Hunger Games and in that opening mm-hmm. scene. Because as I, was, as I was reading the book and I knew that the movie was coming out, I thought this movie really should be rated R mm-hmm. given the themes in it, you know, and there was no way they were. <laughs> no, 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 no. They want those teenagers in there. Yeah. And, yep. and so they had to, I felt like they did a good job of, of cutting away 
you know, of not showing the death blow, mm-hmm. right? It's still very disturbing, that scene. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. These are oh, kids yeah. dying, and people if rooting you say so. for it. Yeah. They're, they're kids. So you didn't find it disturbing, James? I hardly ever find violence disturbing. <laughs> James, do I have to worry about you? I grew up with Freddy Krueger. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm just a wuss. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I call it how I say it. Well, as a father, I don't want to see my kid in that situation. Right. right. Either as a victim or as the victor. Um, and it's one of the things that I think that, that we all identified with. Well, maybe I identified with particularly was when PETA said, I know I have to go into the ring, but I don't want it to change who I am. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And that's something they all struggle with. Even Cato at the very end, right? Isn't that what they want us to do? Kill one another? Yeah. It's, it was, yeah, strong. Was that in the book or was that just That was in not in the book. Because yeah. I was looking for that part, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting addition in, yeah. in the movie, to have Cato kind of be self-aware and realize he was a tool all along. And right. that he was supposed to die for them or kill for them. You know, there was a couple of differences in the... I don't know, for me, big differences between the book and the movie. And one of them was the scene where Peta gives Katniss that loaf of bread. Um, oh, I yeah. like the way they did that in the book much better than how they did it in the movie. Yeah, they kind of trickled it out in the movie. Yeah, yeah it's well, it seemed like a much more pungent action in the book um, because yeah. you're, or poignant action, I suppose. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, you, you get this <laughs> sense of sacrifice from him in the book that I didn't yeah. get in the movie. Yeah, and and that's always one of the criticisms of the, of the movie. Of course, is uh, where was the actual hunger part? Um, because right, a lot of you know, Katniss looks pretty well fed. They should have and called can, it the eating games. Right. You you can retcon it and say, well, she hunts. She's keeping herself in shape. You want her to look starving? I want anybody to look starving. Nobody looks starving at all in the entire Hunger Games. There were Primrose. Primrose looks really really. I'm not, I'm not talking about District Twelve. I'm talking about outside of District Twelve, like in the actual Hunger Games, the game itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I, I'm yeah. thinking more of District Twelve in oh, particular. Mm-hmm. There were a couple shots, kind of establishing shots, that showed some pretty unfortunate looking kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but what I was what I was getting at is is James that scene, you know, in the book, when he gives her that bread, she is on the edge of starving. Right, right, and and so I think visually you are never going to get the same impact from that that you that you had in the book because you could picture her just rail thin and and we weren't going to see them doing that in the movie. No, I mean they have to shoot the whole movie. I mean she's got to be very strong in order to yeah. perform all those stunts and all those scenes, and she can't do that if she's you know, underweight and under right. malnourished. I mean, that's just not going to work. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And they may not have had the technology to give her the Steve Rogers treatment from Captain America. <laughs> right. Or, or like the uh, skinny Matt Damon from uh, The Martian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just saw that. What What do you think of, I, I mean, I, I agree in general, the cast is really good. I don't, I didn't think there was a lot of chemistry between Jennifer Lawrence and Josh. No, Hutcherson. None. None. I, I kind of wish he had been a larger boy. I, thought, I wish he were sexier. I'll be- just be really honest with you guys. He was not sexy yeah. enough for me. There is just something ha- not but, there. Uh, the other guy, Gale, yes. Yeah. But him, yeah. no. No, he I'm like, it was well cast. But you notice no. I didn't mention his name <laughs> when I mentioned the cast. He's not my favorite. And I right. think he was on Saturday Night Live a couple of times. And he's, he's, he's a fine actor. I just don't think this is the part for him. I just, he's not up to her. Right. He's, not, he's not worthy of a Jennifer Lawrence. He's not worthy of a Katniss. Like, she wouldn't notice him. Maybe that's the point, yeah. though. I, yeah, but. In the mm, movie. Because yeah, she wasn't unworthy of him either in the book or the movie, in my opinion. And the fact that there's no chemistry in there is, I think, is very telling. That you, yeah. you know, they're I don't never think supposed to be chemistry. Yeah, exactly. Right? She she's indifferent to having a relationship, and she doesn't know, right. and she really doesn't love Josh Hutcherson. Right. And so the fact there's that awkwardness there, um, or a one-sided awkwardness, I think plays well. Yeah, I think it's very appropriate for their relationship. Yeah, I, I think it it does kind of work on that level where where okay, there isn't any chemistry here. This is all put on. This is all for the sake of the capital, and the capital people aren't the brightest bulbs. Right. Um, you know, whatever whatever chemical treatments they get make them right. pretty pretty easy to manipulate. Um, have Margo, have you ever seen the Honest Trailer for Hunger? Hungry no, Games? no, I have not. Okay, it's it's pretty crass, but just you know, they they do pick on the um, 
you know, the, the idea that she could be attracted to this pale blonde guy instead of this much hotter. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's, I don't know. Maybe I'm shallow, but that's like, that's the first thing. I that, that's always the thing that goes through my head. I'm like, why didn't they get there's the, yeah, yeah something about the performance. There's just something there that just doesn't totally yeah, yeah. work for me. I think it was a mistake to cast a Hemsworth as Gail. Um, maybe you should have had him maybe, right? be Peta. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, part of the reason that I would have liked to see, you know, a bigger guy play Peta is because Katniss is described as very small. Right. And, mm-hmm. and she didn't look so tiny. Like, I pictured like an Ellen Page, you know, yeah. oh, wow. very thin, very yeah. short. Um, and that was who I pictured, right? actually, when I was reading. Well, she did look small compared to the Cato. Uh, Actually, True. so if they had someone True. like his size playing Peta, maybe that would have worked. I think you're right. Yeah, and yeah. That being said, I really did enjoy her performance. I thought she got Katniss. No, she is Katniss. Right. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, so some things that, that I really enjoyed. I li- I liked the art design in the Hob, uh, which was the the place where they did the trading and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um, where she brought her squirrels and and whatnot. Um, I I also liked the different origin of the Mockingjay pin. And and I'm curious what Colin thinks of this because I liked the idea that it was something that she gave to Prim as a good luck charm and then Prim gave back to her. I don't like where she got it though. I don't like where Katniss got it. How come? Because it doesn't seem very meaningful. I think if she had gotten it from like her dad or something like that, it would have been way cooler. Right, but in the book she just gets it from a friend, right? Yeah, she gets it from the mayor's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it's kind of like- a friend, but not really, and then she realizes that she is at the end, but Yeah. But so for me, I feel like her finding it and then imbuing it with that meaning, giving it to Prim, that made it better for me. So, Colin, you wanted it to come from there, started, didn't you? You know, it's one of those adaptational things. Yeah. The movie was two hours and 20 minutes long. It's a long mm-hmm. movie already mm-hmm. for most you know, impatient audiences. It has to be cut back and it has to be yeah. pared back. And I think that gets shown in, in little scenes like the one that we just talked about, about the Mockingbird mm-hmm. pin, but also about giving the bread. Yeah, it would take too much time to show her that mm-hmm. hungry, and to show Peter going back in and baking bread and burning it on purpose, then coming out with the red mark on his face and everything. Mm-hmm. Right, it has to be simplified just for the sake of time. Yeah, they did a lot of that in the movie, I, though. Actually, I I feel they did anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I still love the little things they managed to slip in, like when Gale calls Katniss catnip. Yeah, yeah. The first time he sees her. Yeah, it's like an and Easter egg the mm-hmm. reader. Yeah, and Primrose yeah. tucks in her shirt. Right, because uh, Katniss was always doing that for her and calling her a little, little duck because she had a duck tail, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cat in the house. I could steal cookies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and and this, you know, do I smell like roses? It's just it's sprinkled all throughout the book. For so for people like me that love that little stuff, man, it was mm-hmm. a great, you know, nice fan attention. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about some of the cast. Uh, like you mentioned, Margot Elizabeth Banks is just She's phenomenal. Effie amazing, I guess yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> so to speak. Um, wh- one problem I kind of had with the movie was there. there's kind of an opening crawl, or not opening crawl, but, you know, opening words to kind of introduce the concept of the Hunger mm-hmm. Games. Mm. I felt like we didn't need that because we had the whole video presentation at the, the reaping. I felt that same way. Yeah. 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 Especially with the, the was it, saying of the, the Treaty of Treason? The the explanation of it, Mm -hmm. yeah. If they were gonna, yeah, they already did the video. Why why do the introduction like that? It's kind of weird. Yeah, seemed unnecessary. Yeah, I agree. So I do love the volunteer moment. You know, I volunteer as tribute. It works on me. I'm like I used to say, I have a heart of stone, and I I think I'm becoming an old softy now that I'm (laughs) you know into the mid forties, because like I'm seriously like getting choked up when she says I volunteer as tribute, and I've seen the movie several times, so yeah, yeah, yes, you're a cuddly little Labrador. Yeah, now I am. (laughs) (laughs) I I I think that's one of those things that would have been really really effective in a movie if the if the trailer hadn't showed it, but I feel like they had to show it to grab people. Yeah, another thing I really liked in the movie was the control center. For the Hunger Games. Yeah, that was That awesome. was rad. That, to me, it made the movie seem more science fiction than the book did. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. The book, yeah. I don't know that I felt the book was particularly sci-fi, but definitely like dystopian, future dystopian. Yeah, it's dystopian. Yeah. It's in the umbrella. Uh, but the movie makes it all the more science fiction just with all the different effects they have and the cool things they can do, summoning dogs out of the ground and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Some of that though, I, I do want to talk about. That's that's in my my the, the naughty list for me on on this oh, one. Oh yeah. Um, because I I did love that that you saw you got kind of the uh, ESPN commentary with Flinkerman uh-huh. and uh, whoever oh, yeah. Toby Jones yeah, was yeah. playing. Um, where where they do the I called it Flink's position uh, to talk <laughs> about uh, the tracker jackers right. and and the the mines you know the booby trap around the yeah the pile of of goodies the pyramid of food. Um, it was a good way to do it because you know, like like we've said, you're not in Katniss's head. You have to have these things mm-hmm. explained in some way, and lots of times it was done visually. Um, and one of my favorite examples of this is uh, when Katniss is putting the flowers on Rue. Yeah, and in the book, she's she's thinking this is they're not going to show this. This is rebellion. What I'm doing, mm-hmm. and and they they couldn't come out and say that in the in the movie but the, then the way she kind of walked away and made the salute to the camera i liked then that it cut to district 11 and showed that sort of fomenting rebellion yeah i think it was, was i think it was a good adaptation. call there's they did yeah. a lot of good little things like that that i thought were great and i it was weird in the book when like i said i'm going from the movie to the book that it was all katniss's first person perspective and you didn't really get any yeah. of those panning shots to other districts to see what they were thinking or experiencing mm-hmm. and stuff well and the and snow talking with seneca all the time yeah do you know why we have a winner yeah those yeah. are awesome scenes i mean right. donald sutherland come on oh yeah of course yeah. and i i really i liked the uh the contrast between uh wes bentley i can't remember what his the character name seneca is, the game seneca crane seneca crane okay where he had that impeccably sculpted beard yes. and i think that was actually, beard was fantastic <laughs> i think there was a twitter account west bentley's beard for a while um, that is a dope yeah. beard i love and it I, it was I, but i love the contrast between him and with donald sutherland with his swirling vortex of entropy beard um <laughs> right where, i mean it was just he didn't look like a capital person no yeah which was interesting well he, he's removed himself from the uh rabble right yeah he is effectively he king elevated yeah, yeah. And I, I like that bit where he was, like you said, Colin, he was asking, why do we have a winner? And mm-hmm. and then um, the bit about underdogs. You know, I don't like underdogs. Maybe you should go out into the districts and see some underdogs. Then you wouldn't like them either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Donald Sutherland wrote a letter to Gary Ross as part of his audition for the role. Hmm. Oh, wow. And it's just this, it's this understanding of what Snow is. And it's one of the reasons they brought him out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it works really well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would agree. I totally agree. All right, so let's talk about the visual effects because they are like TV movie level <laughs> yeah. effects for the most part. The one that probably kills me most is the chariot scene. The chariot scene is so brutal. I yeah. have it in With like the fire. bold and caps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so green screeny. No, no, I mean, it's not. The, not so much the green fire. Not so much the fire with Katniss and Peeta. It's the background. Yeah. It's a horrible yeah. green screen. Horrible. Yeah, well, and I agree. Y- you can see that they're reacting to nothing. Yeah, and, and it takes yeah. you out of it. It does. It totally does. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Star Wars prequels. You know, they're they yeah. they react. You know, they're not, they're not talking to another actor. Those don't exist. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you guys need to listen to Mar- Margo was on. How is this movie talking about the Force Awakens? Which was awesome. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, like it doesn't feel real, and and that was a problem. I felt like in the second film they had a better budget. They they made the capital scene yeah. a little more real. Yeah, I will say I agree. though. That, like the people in the capital, I thought they pulled off pretty well. Yeah, I thought the people was good. The the, the um, arena graphics I thought were cool, or the arena effects, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The arena yeah, effects well, were especially cool in the second movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was in a more interesting arena. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. More dynamic, right? I wasn't in love with the mutts. Me neither. That's the, to me that is like the the one thing that should have just been left out. They should have come up with a different MacGuffin to get Cato to the cornucopia. Because that's that's the purpose they served in the book, and and like that impact of their eyes are from the tributes. You you're never going to get that in a film, which is yeah. ironic because it's right. visual. So there was something that that I noticed and I particularly liked was in a way it reminded me of Rocky Four. Okay, is that the one with Dolph Lundgren? They... If you can yeah. change, then we can change. <laughs> Talking about the difference between the way he trained. Versus the way that Dolph Lundgren trained. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, right, here's Katniss fighting for her life, hunting every day. You know, while the coal miners are trudging in in those beginning scenes, she's jogging out to the forest and hunting and practicing so she can live. 
where these other, you know, the career tributes are being fed and groomed and trained in a, you know, a training facility probably. Mm-hmm. That's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, I like it. That's a really good analogy. I liked, I liked the bit in the book, like you said, Colin, where it was the careers don't know how to be hungry. And so if we take their food away, we've taken a major advantage away. Right. Oh, uh, another chemistry issue. Mm-hmm. Turns out that Jennifer Lawrence is really good friends with uh, Lenny Kravitz's daughter. Oh, oh. Zoe Kravitz? <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. And so you know, they had this relationship before the movie, and he kind of steps in and takes a fatherly mentoring role for her. And I thought that worked really well. There yeah. was yes. really good chemistry between those two. Mm-hmm. He was great in this movie. I've never seen him better. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to talk a little more about those mutts. Um, okay. Talk mutts. <laughs> I, I want to understand how the games worked in the movie. In in the book, you know, yeah, they were doing some kind of weird genetic engineering. You know, I can suspend my disbelief for, for all the different miracles of, um, you know, burn healing and all that kind of stuff that they have and and the ability to genetically engineer those, those mutts, right? Um, because they have everybody's DNA on file when you check in for the reaping. Right. In the movie, it made it look like, like the arena was a holodeck and they just uh-huh. replicated them there. Yeah. Yeah, the tree, the tree, you know, give me a tree falling down. Yeah. I mean, you can make a tree fall down, but how do you conjure those dogs? Yeah. I, that's why it's science yeah. fiction, dude. Yeah. That, that's fiction. a good question. Yeah, because in the movie, he comes over and the lady is just, like, finishing him up, and it looks like she's just finished a render. Like, she's, yeah. she's making graphics. <laughs> yes. Um, I thought yeah, it was cool. So, <laughs> cool, but I don't understand it. And, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm asking for too much. It's beyond your understanding. Uh, what, one other weak point is I feel like the, the kind of tag with, um, with Hamish telling Katniss that she's done wrong is much more effective in the book. Yeah. Uh, in, in the movie, like th- those scenes looked like, like they were reshoots or something. They looked like little bits out of a parody trailer. <laughs> oh wow! Speak, speaking of which, speaking of which, there's on, on uh, Netflix there's a movie called The Starving Games. Oh. Which is like the scary movie people. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So, my I haven't actually watched it, but I came home one time, and my wife and son had evidently started watching it. And there's a scene early on, like at the cornucopia, when the when the fighting first starts, where where somebody you know grabs the person's underpants and pulls them over their head in a, in a wedgie, and the person actually splits in half. Oh my goodness! Uh, so, going uh, going for the low bar there. That's awesome. Um, yeah. They must have had a great special effects budget. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was probably like uh, Kung Fury, that kind of special effects. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's another awesome movie. Yeah. I, I, one, uh, one thing I really did like, though, in the movie was uh, the ending of, um, dang it, I forgot his name again, the game maker. Seneca. There we go. Seneca yeah. Crane. Where, where, where they locked him in the room with the berries. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, here's your reward, buddy. Right. Yeah. It shows just how vicious snow can be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was trying to, you know, fit it into my favorite kind of story, which is a redemption story. And I was looking at various character arcs. Mm-hmm. And um, I love how Haymitch redeems himself by stopping drinking and helping them get through the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I particularly liked in the movie how they brought that aspect out because it kind of leaves you to wonder, why would they change that rule to allow two people to finish the game? Yeah, that was something I liked that too. So now you get a little a, a question answer that you didn't get from the book, mm-hmm. which is a, a plus in my side. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I like the way he kind of went up to, to Seneca and said, "Look, give them something they want. They want young love." And and then yeah. then I liked um, Katniss was often reading Hamish's mind when when she got um, donations. What were they called oh, from sponsors? You're talking about right? in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I liked the fact that there was like a printout. You call that a kiss, right? You know, <laughs> instead of yeah. her reading his mind, it was right. more explicit. Yeah, it did seem yeah. kind of a lot of out of the blue type stuff in the book regarding uh the different like the rule change or the the mind reading like you were saying i I like how they translated that into the movie in the movie Mm -hmm. i should say yeah you know peter does mention how similar he thinks they are Hmm. you know where like she needs coaching to pretend to be in love with peter but peter loves her already so he doesn't need any coaching right Mm -hmm. um but when it comes to planning and strategy that's that's hamich yeah right and it's also also katniss in a way Mm -hmm. you know one kiss equals one cup of soup (laughs) right (laughs) right (laughs) Yeah, the going exchange rate on kisses. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Peter doesn't really have an arc. I mean, he kind of stays true to himself. He sets this goal and he kind of carries it through, which I thought was cool. And then I get to, you know, our main character, Katniss. And I think, you know, how does she change and evolve 
over the story. And I think one of her things is that she becomes, she becomes more human. Yeah. You know, she's there to take care of her family and nothing else. Right. She has nothing else. She doesn't care about Gail. Her, well, she does care about Gail, her friend, but that's, that's kind of the limit. And at the end, she cares about and took care of Rue, who reminds her of Primrose, probably. Mm-hmm. She, you know, uh, takes care of Peta. Mm-hmm. She, she could have killed him, but right. decided not to several times. Or let him die. <laughs> or just, just let him die, die, right. Or just let him die. Yeah. Um, I, I wish they had kept in the scene from the book where after they learn that there's only supposed to be really one winner at the cornucopia... Peta pulls out his knife and she whirls around with her bow drawn only to see him throwing the knife into the water. Yeah. Right. And they drop that because I think they need to develop that relationship between them a, a bit more. And it works well to do it that way. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, he, he more or less just says, look, just we have to have a winner and I'm okay with it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we can, we can, we can, uh, we can talk about what we liked better. Hmm. That's actually kind of a tough one. Because I like them both a lot. All right. I like them both a lot, but I have to say, um, I like the second film better than, I mean, I love the first book and the second book and the third book I really had a hard time getting through. Um, yeah. I, I like the first movie, but I love the second movie. I think that's, it was a huge improvement. Have not seen the third and fourth. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I love that first book. I really like it as a book. Um, I think the movie's just fine. But if if you like the movie, you really should check out the book. Yeah, I think I'd agree. What do you think, Colin? Do I need to ask? No, I'm going to be predictable this time. I'm going to go book movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the main reason is, is I love the story. And if you give me more of the story, I'm going to love it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like there's just, you know, in, a, in an adaptation of something that you enjoy, there's so much more opportunity for getting it wrong in your eyes. Right. In my eyes in particular. In your eyes in particular, and, <laughs> and just in general, in any fan's eyes. You know, like the chemistry things, right? You, it's right. either there or it's not. And, mm-hmm. and when it's not, it's, it's hard to, to, to get behind it. Right. And I did feel like in the second film, I was already invested in the characters, even, even with the lack of chemistry. And so it worked better for me in that film. And maybe it's the actors growing together a little bit. I, I think know. also just the production was better. I think they just put more time yeah. in, yeah. like we said, in the special effects and the sets. Um, is Philip Seymour Hoffman in the second movie, but not the first? I'm trying to remember now. Yeah. Yes. He's a fantastic addition. He, he, yeah. He really brings a lot of weight to that, too. I mean, he makes it serious and, and believable. So I yeah. thought he was a great addition. Yeah. As I understand it, that's uh, a change that had to be made in one of the... Um, the sequel. One of the other Mockingjay films because he passed away. Right. He passed away, yeah. 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 So I think I think they end up using Effie actually for part of that. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Reactions <laughs> yeah, been mixed was, to that. Yeah, it was tricky. It was very tricky. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, even though I like the book better, it is by far one of the best adaptations of any movie that I've ever seen. Really? So you consider yeah. this one a, a pretty high fidelity adaptation? Yes. Okay. And in even in its uh, in its adaptational accuracy, it still ends up being a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Right? We, we've had this argument, you and I, and, and you know, James has weighed in on either side or sat back and laughed at us. <laughs> he just posed you know, like, us arguing. Yep. Yes. You know, should, should these changes have been made? Would it have worked? Would it worked if they had done it the original way? We talk, it, talk all over the place. Here you have an example of doing it faithfully and doing it well. Yeah. And I feel like when there's changes, you just kind of have to go, did that make sense to do it that way? And, and like the major change in this one is the, is the shift in perspective where, where you see things from President Snow and from the game makers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only exception, I think, is when you had kind of the obligatory Gale reaction shot mm. uh, with, with the kissing. Like, yeah, okay. Right. I, I would have loved to have seen the movie without the love triangle at all. So either just get rid of Gale altogether or, or something, you know, I'm fine with the, like the false romance thing for mm-hmm. the sake of the audience. Um, but the love triangle thing just, it leaves me cold. I, I'm curious if any, w- was anybody here ever shipping Gale and Peta? I mean, sorry. <laughs> um, Wrong triangle. Was, like I, when, when, when I started reading the books, I, I was aware that there were people on the internet who were either like Katniss and Gale or Katniss and Peta, you know, like a, like a team Gale, team Peta type thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like they did with Twilight. 
Oh, man. I didn't really get that triangle in the book, from the book. I didn't feel like there was a love triangle there at all. I think right. I, I feel like it was a product of the movie. Right. Yeah. Adaptation I agree. That's, that's why when, like, when I found out that there were people who were Team Gale, I thought, well... What, what like, do we know What, of what him? are you talking you about? <laughs> There's he no team Gale. Comes into the first He's two wicked books. handsome, guys. Yeah. Well, I know. In the, in the movie. In the movie, not the book. Yeah, but not in the book. No, I get it. I get it. Right, right. All right. No, yeah, the book, yeah. it's not so important. I don't think she really even focuses that right. much in the book. Yeah, it's not that No, she's not at all. to take care of herself. She's got other things on her mind. You know, kissing and boys is sort of like down on the list. She's trying to survive every day. And she's trying to yeah. make sure her family isn't killed. That's a big yep. responsibility. Yep. Yeah, and I feel like that's that's the part where when she realizes she has to continue the charade, mm-hmm. continue to, to sell it in order to protect the people she loves. Because while she was in the arena, it was just her life on the line. Right. So that that's the interesting thing with this series is is that it's more dangerous for her going home than than being in the arena. Exactly. Well, it sounds like uh, James, did we get uh, you to weigh in? Did you did you decide book versus movie? I'm probably going to go with a movie than book because I thought it was a good adaptation. Okay. Like what Colin said. Well, it's, it's nice to have a dissenting voice. Yep. And I'm good at being a dissenter. So one of these times I need to like, <laughs> I, I need to do uh, the stats on, on how often each of us has ranked the book ahead of the movie or the movie ahead of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done it with our podcast. Yeah. We should. <laughs> yeah. With ours, we tend to, um, We'll cover the book and then a movie, and lots of times there's a remake, and so then we have to decide. Sometimes one of the movies we like better than the book. Um, actually, I think in one case we actually liked one of the remakes better than the original film, even. So that was, what was cool. that? I think that was the Do thing. Uh, the thing. Yeah, yeah. Because, oh, so. the 1980 one with Kurt Russell. Yep. Yeah, that's uh-huh. a great movie. It's actu- yeah, it is, and it's actually a more faithful adaptation of the story, right? Than I the agree. Original. Than the original. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I did want to, I, I had um, put a feeler out on Facebook just real briefly. It was funny. Um, Malk Foy, who is almost always uh, our first commenter on everything. So thank you, Malk, by the way. Um, he, he actually said, I didn't mind the books or the movies. Um, oh, okay. I thought that's not exactly a ringing endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> though, though he said, and the, Colin, you'll, you'll resonate with this, that, that he, he found Katniss really whiny, and he wondered if it was because he did the audiobook. And you and I have talked about that. And Margot, I don't know, have you, have you listened to this one on audio? No, no, I just read it, but whiny. What is she whining about? Like surviving? Like what is she, what's the whining? I don't get. I don't know. Whining. I think. I think it is. It comes down to the performance of the the narrator. It was what Carolyn McCormick, right? Not Catherine McCormick. Yeah, you knew I was going to say that wrong. So thank you for fixing that for me preemptively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Catherine <laughs> McCormick is an actress. Actually, so is Carolyn McCormick. But Carolyn McCormick, um, Margot, I, I think we're of a similar generation. Did you ever watch Spencer for Hire? <laughs> I know what it is, but no, I didn't watch it. Okay. Robert okay. Urich. <laughs> yeah, Robert Urich. Yes. and she she played one of the 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 female leads. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I had a huge crush on her when I was a kid. Oh, okay, I gotta <laughs> um, look her up. Yeah, but yeah, I I did not enjoy her her narration or her her reading, and and I don't know if that was one of the problems that Malk had with it. Um, it. Yeah, bad narrator will hurt you. I mean, sometimes with our podcast, I listen to the audiobook, and and yeah, if it's a bad reading, it really will affect you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think when I when I put a book review up uh, on this one, I had mentioned that I didn't enjoy. The narrator, and I had several other kind of book bloggers weigh in on it who are women, and they really liked Carolyn McCormick. And so, I I don't know if it's just a a guy thing, just a guy thing, yeah, or or just like I'm used to hearing hmm. a man read a book, and I know when he kind of switches to a female point of view, um, you know, without doing any falsetto or anything awful. <laughs> um, but when it goes the other direction, when a woman is trying to kind of grit up her voice to do like her Hamish voice. Like it seemed too affected to me, and and it took me out of the actual story. So hmm. it may just be I have to listen what to what I'm used to. Yeah. And since it wasn't what I was used to, I didn't like it. Um, and maybe that's me being narrow minded, and I need to try again. I don't know. I haven't heard it. I'll I'll, I'll listen to it and give you my opinion. I know like with the it was a male that did the narrate the uh, book for Jurassic Park, and maybe just because also I don't like the book very much anymore but like when he was reading yeah. it and he was reading from the girl's point of view it was like ugh, it was like nails on a chalkboard because it, it was yeah. so bad but he was trying to talk uh-huh. like a little girl and a very whiny little girl <laughs> and it was like ah. yeah it's weird oh, yeah it that can awful. be rough yeah it was rough yeah yeah there's been a couple audiobooks that i've listened to that i thought i 
I have not given this book a fair shake by listening to this audiobook because because the reading was bad. Right. Hmm. But a good reading can be really, you know, really elevate a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the one for Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, it's the Truman Capote. You know, the movie, yeah. uh, it's actually was a novella first. And um, who's the person who played Dexter? Michael, Michael C. Hall. He did an excellent job. There's a female lead, and then there's another character who's a female who has a stutter. Uh, it's, her name is oh, Mag, and he has, and it's, you know, stutters are tricky. You know, you don't want to sound insulting, yeah, yeah. but you want to come mm-hmm. across like the character. And he did a very, very good job with it. So he, w- he did a great job. So I would listen to anything he would read, being my point. Well, I think like good actors, there are good audio performers. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Bamer read the Gregor the Underlander, Overlander series and did a great job of that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, doing different accents, different voices, different genders, different yeah. animals. Yeah. Um, and it makes a big difference. Yeah, it it's does. interesting, though, because I've, I've found that a really, really good narrator can sometimes expose how bad a book is. Oh, oh, cool. oh wow. Because the performance is good and the material it's is crappy. good. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that's kind of wild. Malk actually mentioned that, um, said one thing I would have liked to have seen was in book book slash movie two um where they watch Hamish's games and see how he won um and that that was interesting and for some reason i thought that that was covered in this book and it wasn't no well so seth since we've talked so much about that second book and second movie you've been pretty resistant to doing sequels to books what do you think about doing catching fire one of these days yeah i don't know um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have I have been resistant to that i i think if we were going to do that we should just do the rest of the series all in one podcast Oh, oh, that's we. That'd be way too much content. No, it wouldn't. We could we could trickle it in slowly. Although I, I have to say, I'm not in a big hurry to reread Mockingjay. No, me neither. <laughs> that bad. I huh? don't even know if I've ever finished it. To be honest with you guys. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, really so what's the deal me. with Mockingjay? It's it's just very. You know, the the first two books have a lot of action in them. They have a lot of mm-hmm. peril. Uh-huh. Um, and so they keep you. I, I I guess the term would be they have great narrative greed. Okay. And the Mockingjay just in the fact that it's so different, it loses a lot of that. You get some oh, some okay. Some politics and that kind of stuff in there. Um mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's it's kinda like Quidditch from Harry Potter where um, <laughs> JK Rowling right. got tired about writing all of it all the time. Yeah. So in the third in the third book there really isn't a uh an arena. No. No, the arena is Pan M. Yeah. And that's only towards the, the last half of the book. So. Yeah, the stakes are just really different. I mean, it's it just was so exciting the first one, especially because it, so much was at stake mm-hmm. that um, it, it's just sort of like the third one was sort of the resolution. So there were there were problems ish going on with her, but not really. And then it just right. kind of ends. It's it's I just found it very dissatisfying. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I I was satisfied with the book, but I was not thrilled. So. Hmm. I think it does a better job of developing one of the themes, which is the horrible part of war and how it changes culture and people and the effect it has on youth. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and there's there's the notion that, okay, here we're going to replace a dictator with another dictator. You know, that, that kind of growing sentiment in that book. So one thing that I think was in Catching Fires, um, kind of a strength of that book was the fact that it was able to kind of go back and do almost the same story, but in a in an inventive way by, by having that very interesting arena and having it be former, uh, I'm not going to say contestants, victors. victors, there we go. Um, and so I was impressed that, that even though it was, it was that thematically similar, that, that it kept it different. It did enough different. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and the fact that there's actually, there's two stories going on and you have to read it all the way to the end to, to realize that. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about um, the the mutts that we didn't that we didn't like, and I, there was another um, one of one of my uh, Twitter followers, um, Corey, had had said that yeah, the mutts were so much scarier in the book than in the film, <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah, and and he he kind of agrees with you, Colin, that the he liked the first first movie, felt that it was a good respectful adaptation, and I think it's one of those things, kind of like with the first Harry Potter film, it it had to be pretty faithful. Because oh, of that yeah. built-in audience, I was on a. Actually, I did an interview yesterday with um, Wisconsin Public Radio, uh-huh. um, and we mm-hmm. talked about book and movie adaptations, and we talked about Harry Potter, 
And that first, the first film got a lot of, I mean, it was very successful, but a lot of people complained about it because they said it was basically just filming the book. They, they right. just, they didn't take any risks. They, they just complete, but, but I think it's the first time they're doing it. They had to sort of, they wanted to make that audience happy. Yeah. So they, they just, they just had to, they wanted to just keep it as faithful as possible. And then later on they took more risks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting way of putting it because, you know, when Colin and I have this, this thing going back and forth where kind of my motto is adapt, adaptation means change. And his, adap- his motto is the book is always eight better. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Keep it faithful, <laughs> you know, and, but I like that notion of um, taking risk where, where it is definitely yeah. a risk when you take an insanely popular book and turn it into a movie and make changes with it. And sometimes it's a disaster, right? I mean, the, like, I don't know if you've ever seen The Lightning Thief. Which is a delightful young adult read. Um, and it's funny. It's it's interesting. And then that movie is just crap. Yeah. Well, you think about it. It's hard to make a movie. There's like dozens yeah. and dozens of people involved. When you're writing a book, it's just the writer and their editor yeah. collaborating. You know, mm-hmm. once it gets out there, you have the screenwriter, you have the executive producer who has all the money, you have somebody, you know, then you have to cast it. Well, there's a casting director that's in charge. And then what does the studio want? They get notes from people and yeah. people have to have notes because you have to justify your job. So you have to like come up with changes. So mm-hmm. it's it's a miracle any good movies are made because so many people <laughs> are involved in them, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, and it may have helped that Suzanne Collins started out writing for children's television. Oh, really? I don't think I knew that. Oh, I saw yeah. that. Yeah, I saw that in her bio. Yeah, and so I think she wrote a book that might have been very, very easy to adapt in a lot of ways. Yeah, huh. she kind of already knew the voice to you. It's yeah. She knew television, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. And, and you know, if, if uh, her media people happen to pick up on us and, and listen, please, please write another book soon. Please? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? She wrote a children's, uh, an illustrated children's book after The Hunger Games, but I think she's been really heavily involved in the screenplays for the movies and in all, all that kind of stuff. It probably keeps her busy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah, and the the Underland Chronicles that we've talked about, I mean, that's a five-book set, and, and those are terrific. Yeah. And I would be interested to see those adapted. It would be really, it would be a chore. Very effects-heavy. You'd have to get a huge budget. Either that or you'd have to, like, go back to... Um, the never ending story and that kind of effects, you know, like, um, like labyrinth kind of effects, more, more oh, practical. Yeah. 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 Or Star Wars, The exactly. Force Awakens. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're about ready to sign off. Okay. Well, Margo, uh, thanks so much for joining us. It was, it was a pleasure hey. having you. Thank yeah. you, Margo. Thanks for having nice me on. You. Yeah. Nice to meet you guys. This was really fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let us know if you want to cross over in the future. We could, we could send a delegation. Your oh way. yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm here anytime. Before you go, why don't you mention how people can contact you and uh, and find your show? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so it's Book Versus Movie Podcast. We're on Stitcher and we're on iTunes. And we are we have a website, bookversusmovie.com. The best place to reach Margo and I, and my, by the way, my co-host is also named Margo. We're two Margos. <laughs> um, but at facebook.com forward slash movie, that's where we do the most interaction. And we're also on Twitter and try to raise our Twitter presence. So you can follow us at bookversusmovie and we will follow you back. And we actually have a voicemail now. Ooh, nice. So so we just started that. We're going to see how that works out. But um, the number is 206-279-0117. And if you are a Take Me to Your Reader listener, call in and let me know and tell me what you think of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun, uh, your show, just because you're not as narrowly focused as we are, because we, we're on science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's kind of all things nerdy here. And we're, we're oh, yeah. over there. I'm always surprised <laughs> when, when I'm listening to you guys that... Wow, you read that, um, you know, like when it was first out. Um, like you, I, I listened to your um, Waiting to Exhale show. And, yes. Oh, thanks. And, you know, that was another one. I had no idea it was, a, it was ever a book. And, and maybe I'm just not plugged in the right places. Um, but yeah. but it, was, it was fun to... Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, it was, no, but it was fun. Sometimes, we, we, like I said, we read things at, at, at the time that it came out, and then you go back to it. Like The Firm, that was another one for us. Like uh, I remember really enjoying that book. And then, you know, we talked about book versus movie, and then went back and reread the book. I'm like, this is actually not that great. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. It's fine. But yeah, it's definitely what, what experience and time and just living a life will change your perspective on things. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that happen uh, 
with our show too. Now we we try to get pretty obscure sometimes, where where it's like a short story, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes a very very short story that people just don't know is the basis for this film. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and, and listen. Did you say the firm? The firm. Yeah. Okay, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna have to listen to that one because I, I I think I had I thought I had looked through your catalog to see if there was anything that I had read, because I feel like with with your podcast and ours, you know, there's a lot of homework for the for the listener. If you haven't already read this. Indeed, we hear that. Yeah. And th- yeah. so there are things like Waiting to Exhale. I'm like, I, I didn't ever see the movie. I just saw, I could tell, um, like, seeing the trailer. I'm like, wow, this is the most 90s movie ever. Um, and you guys talked about that. <laughs> it's so 90s <laughs> yeah. when you, got, if you if you watch it. Yeah. like Just watch it for like 10 or 15 minutes and you will start cracking yeah, up yeah. and you'll have to. Also, just Whitney Houston's acting is just atrocious. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's just, yeah, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But it is so like the music and the fashions and everything, it just screams dreams 90s but i have to thank you because you actually you one of our really a big episode for us was a christmas story and you were the one that recommended that we do it Woo-hoo. all right woohoo nice so yeah so de- yeah definitely check it out and i'm checking you guys out cool we'll be doing that it's science fiction right oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we did die hard so you know yeah i want to do that one day yeah that's an interesting one but yeah so like when, when i'm looking through your catalog i, I kind of have to go am i ever going to read that Probably not. All right, I'm listening. Um, (laughs) We try try to keep it fun, so even if you've never read it or you have absolutely positively no intention of reading it, just we just describe it in a way that kind of makes it fun, and then we talk about the film. So we 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 really try to keep it fun. We're not pedantic about these things. No. Well, oh, we were going to talk about what we're going to do next, just real briefly. Uh, I think we're going to be doing Colossus, which is a book by D. F. Jones, and and was made into a 1970 film called. Colossus, the Forbin Project, because um, they had to, I guess, throw in the main character's first name. So that one, right. that one should be fun. And I think we've already all read that one. So not yep. much homework left for us, but for our yep. listener, there might be a bit. So, but it's a pretty brief book. Yeah, it's not, it's not that bad of a read. No, no, it's it's only a couple it. hundred pages, and uh, yeah, the movie is a bit more obscure though. It's not, it's not all that well known. Oh, interesting. So I'm looking forward to that one. Okay, well, I think we can sign off. Bless us, Seth. Bless us. I think I'm just going to go classic. Um, we, we always sign off with the Pavement Pounders Blessing, which is a modified uh, Irish blessing. So, so Margo, thanks again for being with us. Thank you so much, guys. It was so nice to meet you. I had a really fun time. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, may the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Thanks. Thank you. Or a squirrel. Yeah, yeah, it was a squirrel or a rabbit, but she skinned it. I mean, I remember that. I remember seeing that and like, wow, who is this actress? Like, she's very yeah. real we and visceral. get her hands dirty. Yeah. We're a hamster. Whatever. Gerbil. Yeah. No, no, I said get her hands dirty. Oh, I thought you had <laughs> hands dirty. I did. Get her okay. hands dirty. I'm hearing things. I'm hungry. It was a feral hamster. It wasn't like she killed somebody's pet. <laughs> right. <laughs>